Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Topic is the death of a sister-in-law. Nancy Manahan and Becky Bowen, authors of Living Consciously, Dying Gracefully, A Journey with Cancer and Beyond, give us the inspiring account of the last five years in the life of their sister-in-law, Diane Manahan. Nancy and Becky will discuss how dealing with Diane's loss has impacted their lives. Welcome to the show, Nancy and Becky. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. It's great to have you on. Um, I wondered if uh, now, now Nancy... Uh, it's your uh, brother's. Diane was your sister-in-law, right? That's right. My and brother Becky. Bill's wife. Right. And uh, I was wondering what you'd like to tell us about Nancy. I mean, about Diane. Diane was a nurse and a professor of nursing at Minnesota State University in Mankato. She was also a therapist and one of the most fully alive people that I've ever met. My brother and she started dating when they were in the sixth grade. And so I met them when I was in the first grade. I met wow. I, I met Diane and, and I think fell in love with her at the same time my brother did. Uh, that's great. And how about you, Becky? What um, is your was your experience? How long did you know Diane? Well, I uh, I'm Nancy's partner, and so when I um, got into the relationship with Nancy back in '94, that's when I first met. Diane, so I, I had known her only a year before she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh huh. So, so you've got um, a, a different kind of a different perspective on it, which it, which is interesting. Well, I wanted to just um, mention a little bit about the book before we get uh, going along too much, because it's a very interesting book, and I think one of the things that our audience out there would be interested in getting this book and I highly recommend that you do this is not only to look at your future if you happen to have if you have someone who has cancer or has a terminal illness or um, is fighting some kind of an illness it's very inspiring to hear how and um, Diane lived with cancer and I love that didn't she say that um, she lived with cancer she wasn't dying with cancer right that's right she was very clear about that yeah, I love that. She's not. She wasn't dying of cancer. She was living with cancer. I love that reframe. Yeah. So, um, for for people who uh, you know need it from that point of view, for our audience who have already had a loss, I will have to say that it fascinated me because you ladies did such a full life about her. I mean, it tells about her journey through it and wonderful journals. But also, um, you do a genogram, a family history. You have comments in there about what friends said about her. You have suggestions for people about holding memorial services. You have um, all sorts of things going on in here in the book that, that could be helpful for people if they want to look at some rituals and things, but also if they would like to write a book about their loved one that has already passed away. I think it's a wonderful outline for that, don't you, Heidi? Absolutely, or have or have a celebration, a life celebration for someone that's already died. Yeah, and we'll talk about that life, the life celebration, everything. Diane was pretty remarkable. She was in the Peace Corps. Her husband's a doctor, right? Right. And she, uh, they traveled all over in the Peace Corps and whatever. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk a little bit about in connection with this book, um, in there you talk about how Diane 
uh, died at home and um, and taking care of the body and doing all those kinds of things, which I thought was interesting because I know some of our audience out there would have had requests from their loved one to die at home, but they weren't able to pull it off, as it were. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's amazing that you were able to do this. Do you think it would be hard to do this if you hadn't had a, a brother who was a doctor and, and Diane was a nurse and had planned for it? And, you know, what's your thought on that? Well, that certainly was was a factor that that my brother is a physician and Diane was a nurse, and so they they were pretty familiar with um, with end stages of life and some of the issues. And Diane said that if she needed to go to the hospital, that was fine. But um, families without medical professionals in them um, usually have the option of hospice, and hospice performs the same function. They can be on top of pain medication and give support to family members, um, emotional support as well as physical and medical support. So I think that today, now that hospice is so widely available, most families um, have the have the option of um, of of trying to have a death at home if if that is possible medically. Becky, do you think there was any time when did you or other people get a little nervous? And because I know some families are like think they're going to have them die at home, and then you know it's it's hard. You know, I don't think anyone ever felt nervous. I think one of the things was that they were so well prepared and so grounded in the reality of what was happening that that they just, in a way, they kind of created their own reality. Um, they they were prepared for um, for the death, and they had talked extensively um, about it, and and they just took the steps that were needed, and they always left open the option that if Sabine got out of control, you know, that that she would go into uh, a hospital or hospice or mm-hmm. or they would always have a backup plan. But well, I think it's great that there were these support people available and hopefully for our audience out there they were able to get the support they wanted to. But unfortunately, I think as Diane would know if she were here, being a nurse, some people don't have that. That's true. Mm-hmm. And they're hurt and angry, and we understand that if they weren't able to do what they want to do. The other issue can come up with where you don't have family solidarity, where one person thinks that they should go and one person thinks that they should stay home and, you know, a lot of issues there. I wanted to get into the, the last part of the book, After Diane Died. You guys had some pretty amazing experiences. Do you want to talk to our audience about that? Sure. I'll, uh, this is, uh, Becky, Becky. I'll, I'll share one experience that, that I had. It was just... At the moment of passing, we uh, uh, the Celtics call these places thin places where that veil between this world and the next is very thin. And as Diane died in bed with the family surrounding her, I stepped back from the bed after a while, and I you know I read about you know people's spirits rising and looking down on the scene and so forth. So I looked up to the ceiling and I was giving Diane the thumbs up, like, you did it, you you died, you had really wanted to die these last um, few weeks, and it, you, you felt you were lingering and you just couldn't do it, but you did it. And I looked up, and right above her, I saw what was what I call a portal, this round hole, and I saw these three ancient beings, some people would call them angels, I'm not sure 
what name to give them, but they just kept looking down on, on the scene, and it was the most incredible moment of my life um, to experience something like that that I never knew had happened or could happen. I have since found out that sometimes people do see this kind of veil being pulled back. Well, it's amazing when you talk about it in the book because it's like, wow, and you wanted to tell everybody around you, look, look, can't you see it? But they were busy with their body. It's a... they, they were, and it was... Um, and part of me just thought, well, if I say anything and no one else sees this, you know, you know, am I nuts? You know, what's, but, you know, it's very interesting, you know, with the times that we've been uh, in bookstores or giving talks and so forth, oftentimes people will come up afterwards and share a story about a communication with, with their loved one or seeing something like this when that, that veil is pulled back. And uh, they said, you know, I just never share this with anyone because, you know, it just sounds too crazy. That's amazing. And how about you, uh, Nancy? You had an experience too, didn't you? Well, I did, but I, I want to say something else first, which is I think one of the most important parts of the grieving experience is for people to know that these events, these thin places are possible so that they can be open to the tremendous comfort and reassurance and love that can be coming from the other side. Mm-hmm. And tell us about your experience. Um, well, I actually, Nancy, didn't have an experience. <laughs> didn't you have, weren't you the one that had the smell? That, was, that also was... Oh, that was you too? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh I thought it was Nancy. Well, okay. No, yeah, it, no. there was a smell, and that really uh, triggered something for me because I know uh, when we talk to our audience, there's a lot with smell and with, um, you know, experiences. Yeah, well, many, many people. The, the situation was that uh, Nancy and a few other close, intimate friends of Diane's washed her body, and they washed it with lavender oil in, in the water. And I didn't participate in that, thinking that, you know, I really was not uh, an intimate of Diane's. And I kind of felt bad about that. And when I drove home that evening back to Minneapolis from Ankito, when I walked in the back door, the, the hallway was filled with the smell of lavender. It was so incredibly intense. And I thought, right away, Diane... And I, I just felt her presence, and I felt this sense of glee that she had, that she was just able to zip all over the universe, and and she was free, and it was just a, a fabulous moment. And then about half a minute later, my my right brain kicked in, and I thought, no, or my left brain kicked in, and I thought, no, this is this can't be real. We must have a broken bottle of lavender oil someplace in the house I ran downstairs and all over and there wasn't we didn't even own any and so it was and when I came back to um, to the back door that that uh, smell was gone you know it's amazing how we deny our experience isn't it very yeah, quickly for a lot of people I've, I've had that experience with my my father-in-law is is dead and he died about five years ago and I've smelled old spice very strongly before in places he's been. And that's what he always wore. Uh-huh. So it is, it's powerful to have these experiences. Right? I think the most, some of the most common ways that there is that communication are smells, sounds, like a favorite song or a bird, a 
sense of touch even. Sometimes people feel as if they, they are being being touched, a hand on a shoulder, a hand yeah. on the back, um, a, a voice, a message, whether they, they hear it in their head. And they, some of the stories in our book, um, for instance, Diane's one of her best friends is a therapist, and she says sometimes during therapy she hears Diane's voice. It's not anybody else's voice. It's Diane's voice giving her some guidance on what to do. Wonderful. So well, we love we love those stories, and in fact, absolutely. we were inspired to write this book by Janice Amatuzio's book, Forever Ours: Stories of Life and Immortality from a, a Forensic Scientist. Janice Amatuzio is a physician here in the uh, Minneapolis area, um, a, who who has interviewed many many families after their loved ones have died, and had these incredible experience of post-death communication. Right, and my mom and I also interviewed a man named Bill Guggenheim who wrote a book called Hello from Heaven where, similarly, people have told amazing stories about communications like this. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful book, too, mm-hmm. Heidi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Maybe that. you'll want to shoot the name of that uh, book to us, and we can put it uh, on our website, maybe even see if we can have her on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, one thing I like about this book is that you have chronicled those, and when you do that, then it stops that left brain from denying those experiences, mm-hmm. and yes. you kind of got them down there. It's really quite wonderful. Um, I want to talk before we end uh, about your memorial service, your life celebration, because I feel like that's was really wonderful that you did with Diane, and she actually planned it, but I, I believe that even now, if you've had a loved one die a year ago, you could do one of these wonderful life celebrations. Does that's, one of you want to talk about that a bit? That's true, Gloria. Diane planned her own service in detail, but anybody can take her plan and modify it and use it for their own loved ones, uh, no matter how long it's been since they died. And one of the things that Diane did was to involve as many people as possible in the funeral. For instance, she asked me um, a month before she died if I would be willing to read a Mary Oliver poem that I had sent her on a card. And that was such a powerful experience for me to be sitting there on the sofa beside Diane, holding her hand and having her say, Nancy, would you read, I love that poem, would you read that at my life celebration? I mean, how many people ever have the opportunity to talk to their loved one who is dying about what they want and to have that personal request? And and I like the idea of serving. You can serve the food that the person that you have died, the person liked, dead now, serve the food that they liked at the life celebration. Oh, that's right, Heidi. And also a year later, we had an anniversary party at which we dedicated the memorial that our family chose and it isn't in a cemetery. Diane was cremated. Um, it had, in fact, it was a very green funeral. Um, but they chose a, a natural, unpolished rock, local, a local rock from southern Minnesota, and it's in the public park in her hometown so that people can sit on it. There's a bench portion, and kids can climb all over it. In fact, there's a picture in the book of Bill and Diane's four grandchildren climbing on this rock. I and at that, that people people had a chance to, as you say, Heidi, sometimes the second year is harder. Mm-hmm. And so people had a chance to share how they were with the grieving process, including Diane and Bill's four children and, and Bill himself, and kind of have a, a just a, a wonderful one. No, I don't think people think of doing that, a one-year or a two-year ceremony. And then we all went back to their house and served all of Diane's favorite foods and had a wonderful time remembering and talking and laughing and crying. 
I was kind of laughing in the book because you made some comment about the all the food may not have been that healthy. Yes. <laughs> Coffee, ice cream, yes, exactly. <laughs> we, we, we didn't have any spinach. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the fact that she felt that having a good sense of humor was important too. Well, it it was fun food. Dan had a wicked and wonderful sense of humor, and in fact, the very last quote that we have from her journal in the book, which is full of wonderful quotes from her private journals, which she typed out and put with her medical papers, as if she knew someone was going to write a book. But we didn't even get the idea to write a book until three years after she died, and it was because of reading Dr. Amatuzio's that we thought, hey, we've had these experiences with Diane. But the last thing in her journal uh, that we quote in the book is her philosophy, her whole life philosophy. And it says, to treat people with dignity, whether I agree with them or not, to give reverence to nature and creation, to err with some grace and humor, which reminds me that one of the goals for her life before she was diagnosed for her birthday when she was 55 that same year was to um, every day to slip up a little. Thank you, Becky, yeah. to slip up a little and to do something outrageous a little, knowing that I and others are so human. So she she really embraced her humanity. And then the last thing, Gloria, as you pointed out, is to maintain and share my sense of fun. Oh, that's great. Well, um, could you tell folks how they can get the book? And you do have a website, right? Our website is Nanbeck, N-A-N, the first three letters of my name, Nancy, and B-E-C, the first three letters of Becky's name, .com, so nanbeck.com. The book is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and in any bookstore, especially independent bookstores, which we like to support in your hometown. Great, and you can also get it off of thegriefblog.com. Well, Nancy Manahan and Becky Bowen, thank you so much for being on the show, and you are fabulous sisters-in-law, and uh, it's just wonderful. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks, Nancy and Becky. You're doing a wonderful work. Thank you so much for what you do to help people cope with grief and loss. Ah, Thank you. Thank you for your book.